the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney. So let's just look at something here in Exodus 25. I know I've got notes that I sent in, and there's probably some slides that are prepared. Well, I know there is, but I don't know if I'm going to go there this morning, okay? Um, I don't know if you guys can stay for the second service, but I may continue when I started here. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is I want you to see something in the Scripture that maybe you've never seen before. Exodus 25 Let's look at verses 8 and 9, okay? Now, remember, God is speaking to Moses here. And he actually starts off in verse 1 of Exodus 25, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering, verse 1. So God doesn't just accept all offerings, right? Understand that. God says, speak to them, but don't receive it if they're not doing it willingly from their heart. Okay, now, now, really important that we get that. And then what happens is he continues and he says, I want them to give these things for a purpose. Okay, the purpose is we're going to build something. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say that we've been blessed to build. Come on, we've been blessed to build. All right. Now, so here's what he says. He goes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these things and we're going to build something. Then we pick it up in verse 8. And let them, the Lord is speaking here, Jehovah speaking, and let them make me a sanctuary. Turn to your neighbor and say, this thing ain't about you. Okay. All right. It ain't about our ministries. It's not about, about our businesses. It's not about being, you know, favored. Ultimately, there's always a purpose in, in blessing. There's a purpose in prosperity. By the way, there's also purpose in pain. Ooh. <laughs> All right, so what happens is, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, God speaking to Moses, that is the pattern. I lived in Australia. It's, I love the way they say pattern. Patent. Patent. <laughs> According to the patent, I'm like, the patent? Patent is something you file, you know, when you want a copyright or something. But anyway, in Australia, just saying. Okay, so according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Do you sense that God's pretty serious here? Like, God's saying... Don't just build it any old way. Don't compromise. Don't cut corners. Don't like, well, Lord, you know, if we do it here and then we can save some money, you know, we can. God said, no, you, I'm going to give you a blueprint. I, and you're going to have to build it exactly according to the blueprint. Build it exactly, just so. Now, when you go over to the book of Hebrews, interestingly enough, the writer of Hebrews quotes this passage. I believe it's in the fifth chapter. 
And he begins to talk about how, eighth chapter maybe, he begins to talk about how what they were called to build was actually a representation of a heavenly reality. So in other words, what you're called to build here, I'm giving you, listen to this guys, watch this. I'm giving you a pattern to build something on the earth that is a replication it is, it is a type and a shadow of a heavenly reality. So if you're going to represent me and my kingdom on the earth, you better do it actually according to the way it is. Yeah. Don't just like, well, I think that God. No, he's saying you got to understand that you're called to do John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of himself. But whatever he sees the father do in the heavens, so he does on the earth. I only speak those things. I hear my father speaking. So we have to recognize that we're called to replicate and to represent the kingdom to the people of the earth. There's already a kingdom, guys. God, you know, Jesus has, has been king forever. I mean, he created everything. Okay, the Bible says from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. You know, it says in, 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 um, ex, in Matthew 25, the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Yeah. So the kingdom isn't something that John the Baptist had received some revelation. He came preaching the kingdom and Jesus continued it. The kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world. One translation says from the creation of yeah. the world. Very important that we get this. So God is a king, ultimately, and he's always had a kingdom. And that kingdom was prepared for us when he created the world and when he created us, but it was always in existence. So we, we cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. This is so important. So God says, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all I show you, according to the pattern. Now, the word sanctuary is derived from the Hebrew word Kadesh. It's used in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, I am the Lord that sanctifies you, the same root word. So what he's saying here is, I want you to build me a place, a holy dwelling place. In other words, this word in the Hebrew language would never be used of just a mundane facility. It was, it was a place that was designated as a sacred place, as a place that was used for worship, as a place that was, that was um, focused on encountering God. Okay, so, so the idea here is this is about building something that is completely unlike any other place in the world, any other building, any other facility, any other, you know, uh, habitation. This is about building something that is called a sanctuary. And he says, the purpose for you building this sanctuary is that I may dwell among you. Now, let's put this in historical context. Moses had been called by the Lord to come up to the mountain. Remember, Mount Sinai. We know he was there for 40 days, 40 nights. Often, when you ask the average person, the average believer, what happened when Moses was on top of Mount Sinai? What's the most people say? What happened on Mount Sinai? Ten commandments, right? 
Moses came down. They're worshiping the golden calf. He gets upset. You know, he smashes the Ten Commandments, and he gets up. That whole thing, right? We know the narrative. But ultimately, that was a very small part of what Moses received. When Moses was in the glory of God, he received the blueprints to build this thing called the tabernacle or the sanctuary. And there's only like one chapter in the book of Exodus devoted to the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, but pretty much the rest, almost the rest of the book of Exodus is all about how to build this thing called a, a, a tabernacle or a sanctuary. So God is like, I'm not just looking for people that are going to be nice and they're not going to, thou shall not kill, thou shall not whatever, right? He's, God was like, I'm looking for a people that understand that I've created them to have relationship with me to, so that I may dwell in them. This thing is about, listen, this is old covenant. And God is saying old covenant, this is about habitation. This is about presence. This is about that I may dwell in your mix, in your midst. The word dwell isn't visitation. It's a word that means habitation. It means permanently. It's not like, okay, so people are like, well, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people. Then they left in the rest of their days, you know, and like, you know, they, f- they fulfilled their assignment or whatever. And it was only select people, prophets, priests, kings, that type of thing. No, God says here very clearly, I want to dwell in the midst of all my people. Let them, the children of Israel, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Okay, this is awesome. Do you get this? All right, so let's fast forward to the new covenant, Jesus talks about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He does say, in, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the context is for those who were in the church in Corinth, uh, who had come out of that wicked culture, it's kind of like the Vegas of, of that, that time, and they were involved in a lot of um, immorality, particularly when they were involved in worship, worshiping the gods, they, they got themselves involved in sexual acts with prostitutes. So the point is, he's saying here, he's saying your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't be going and doing that, okay? Now, a lot of times we focus on that verse, that one verse, but there's another verse in 1 Corinthians that is much more important. It's 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. In this place, Paul talks to the church collectively. In the Greek, it's the word you in plural. So if you're from Texas, you would say y'all. Okay, so don't y'all know? I mean, actually, if you're in Texas, it would be all y'all, okay? So it wouldn't be just y'all. It's all y'all, okay? And, and so it's all about realizing collectively that we are the temple. Yeah. Temple. In other words, where does God dwell? Well, God doesn't dwell in temples anymore. Yes, he does. He dwells in a temple 
There's only one temple. Yes, our bodies are the temple in, in what he's saying there. But when you look at it, what he's saying is ultimately there's kind of, you know, the, the small, but then there's the big picture. The macro is that we are the temple of God collectively. All right. Now, Paul uses another analogy, and he says that we are the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he actually, so that we, we don't get confused and miss it, he actually says the church, which is his body, and then he continues, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he says, the body of Christ, which is the church. So in other words, the church is his body and the body is the church. Okay? So that's pretty clear. And he's saying that the purpose of the fivefold is to equip and to prepare us to be a body. Now, I want to talk to you about raising the dead this morning. That was my introduction. Okay. The plane is up. We are at 30,000 feet. We're cruising. Okay. Let's cruise up there for a little bit. The body of Christ, you are an important part of what God wants to do in this end time. But the question I must ask you this morning is, are you a body part or are you part of the body? Are you a body part or are you part of the body? We got a lot of people that are believers, disciples that go, well, you know, I'm this, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm, you know, I've got the gift of giving, the gift of serving, not the gift of gab, but I got this, that's, that's carnal, that's not anointed, okay, Uh, (laughs) I guess it can be redeemed, but ultimately, the point is, God says, I have given you gifts, and there are many people, and for years, guys, and we're talking about a progression, an evolution of coming into the fullness of the message of the kingdom. I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but let me just say that people have been preaching about apostles and prophets for a long time. And I, I, go, to, I go to places and I minister, particularly in North America, and I hear these guys, leaders, say this all the time, pastors, others, even apostles say, well, you know, in the 1940s, God poured out his spirit in Battleford, Saskatchewan, and it became known as the Latter Rain Movement. How many have heard about that? Okay, so let me tell you something. In many people from North America point to that as the kind of primary, um, maybe even the singular event that launched the apostolic and the prophetic. And yet, let me tell you, that's not true. Like, I'm from Canada. I know. Okay? Like, it's, 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 it's fake news. Okay? I mean, true story is fake news. And the point is, God is saying that's not true. Because from the beginning, the Lord said in the church, first of all, apostles, secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers. By the way, pastor's not even on that list, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So the interesting thing is he says in Ephesians 2.20, I build my church upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. And when he says, first of all, he uses the word proton, 
And proton in the New Testament language means first in terms of order, sequence, and even importance. Even importance. So God's saying the apostle is the most important thing. In the, New Test- in the Old Testament was the prophet. In the New Testament, he shifts it. And it's now the apostle. Now, Jesus Christ is referred to as the chief apostle and the great high priest of our faith. So it's very important that we recognize that. So here's what happens. We see the restoration of, he, of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And in like Azusa Street, we, we see stuff going on in Wales, you know, other places. And that's what we call what God was doing, you know, a great Pentecostal restoration of, of the gifts of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it spread all over the world. It's awesome. Then we see like miracles and healings emerging. Amy Semple McPherson uh, had the first mega church. In fact, the only mega church in the world at that time in 1923 right here in LA. And so what ends up happening is God is doing these amazing things. But then we talk about this whole thing about the restoration of apostles in the late 40s, 48 in particular. Not true. I pastored this church in Perth, Australia, that was started in the 1920s by apostles and prophets who came out of the Welsh revival and the United Kingdom, and they said, we're going to go to Australia, and we're going to reach people, and we'll target the capital cities in each state, and we will, we will go in there with miracle signs and wonders reach people, plant churches, and they, were, they embraced apostles and prophets. In fact, it was apostles and prophets in teams that went out to do this. So to say it happened here in North America ain't true. If you see it on Wikipedia, you need to document, tell them it's false. So the point I'm trying to make here is, guys, it's been going on for a long time. But we have corrupted apostles and prophets. Now, I know there's some real, genuine prophets and apostles. I get that. I is one. But I want you to understand something. We've corrupted it in many instances where we've we've diluted it, we've distorted it so that it's no longer been the purpose from which God wanted it to be. So let me, let me go here, and then we're about to, you know, it's kind of like, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be, put your laptops away, everything else, we're about to descend, okay? And we're approaching. Now here's, we're going down. Are you ready? So what happens, God moves, God restores, but then we come into this age where we start to see things shifting from what is known as preaching the gospel of salvation to what we, we see more people under, preaching on revelational things pertaining to the kingdom. So we move away from the gospel of salvation. We are still in that process and we're embracing the gospel of the kingdom. There's only one time in the New Testament where the, the language is used, gospel of salvation, only one time. Ephesians 1 verse 13. All the other times, it talks about the gospel of Jesus and, yes, the gospel of grace. But ultimately, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Verse 3 of Matthew 24, 
Jesus responded and he said, guys, there's going to be persecutions. There's going to be wars. There's going to be earthquakes. Nation will rise against nation. There'll be false prophets. There'll be false Christs. He said, these things are going to happen, verse 6. But he says, but don't be afraid. Don't stress out because he said, this is not the end, is what he says in verse 6. It's not the end. Like they're asking Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming in the end? All this stuff's going to happen, but this is not the end. Then verse 8, he says, these things are birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows. But ultimately, there's only one thing Jesus articulated in unequivocal terms is the fulfillment of the question the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And it's verse 14. He says this, this gospel of the kingdom. I like when he says this gospel. Because he's saying, you know, the gospel that I'm preaching. Okay. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony or a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then the end will come. Powerful. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached, okay, to all the world, but more specifically to all the nations. United Nations has 195 countries in its membership. They do not include Taiwan. 196 if Taiwan was in the list. But the word that is used here by Jesus is a word from which we get our term ethnic, ethnic groups. And there's actually over 17,400 distinct ethnic groups in all of these 196 nations of the world. Right now, only about 6,900 have access to the gospel. I'm sorry, delete. Right now, 6,900 are considered unreached people groups. Okay, That is close to 3 billion people. The population of the world right now is 7.8 plus billion. 3 billion don't have access. Now, that's a lot of people. It even gets worse because there's some place in the world where there's absolutely no access to the gospel right now. Well, yeah, man, they just go online, you know, like I post on Facebook every day. Facebook is blocked in China. Social media is blocked in China. Okay. Like, well, we just get them on a Zoom meeting, disciple them that way. Cuba has blocked Zoom. We get around it, but... The point I'm trying to make is it's not as simple as that. So what happens is God says there is such a need for people to get this thing called the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when most missiologists talk about unreached people groups, they do not take into consideration the gospel of the kingdom. They're just saying the gospel that Jesus died, he rose again, he lives forevermore. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven and you'll go to heaven. And that's the message. And that's, that's, that's a good place to start. But listen to me. If, if that's all God intended for you was pie in the sky and the sweet by and by when you die, 
that he would kill you the moment you're born again because he knew you mess it up. Turn at your neighbor and say, I messed it up. And turn to your neighbor and say, I'm still messing up. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mess. All right, okay. But seriously, guys, think about it. Why did Jesus come to the earth? He didn't show up and go, okay, like, I'm 30 years old now. Let's go to the cross. Let's get this thing over with so y'all can be delivered and set free and, you know, restored to the Father. Um, He actually died for us so we could live. Live on the earth for at least a season so we could be restored to the image and likeness of the Father. We could be restored to identity that we could be restored to our purpose for being created. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all that today. That book I have in the kingdom talks more about it. It's a small book, a simple read. I'm writing a, a larger, more voluminous book right now on that topic. But ultimately, what we're saying is there's a call to learn to live in the kingdom. In fact, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. It actually says that we were saved so that we would learn how to walk worthy of God who's called us into his kingdom. Man, let's talk about that. Did y'all hear that? You were saved so you would learn how to walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Wow, and glory. So God has a purpose for you here. It's a kingdom purpose. It's about his glory. Guys, I'm telling you what. Religion is boring. Okay? Like, why would you attend a church Jesus doesn't attend? The only thing, you know, listen, I pastored a church that I wouldn't attend if I wasn't a pastor. And then we were able to turn it around. I go, yeah, I'd go here. Good preacher, right? No, it's okay. (laughs) Humility, yes. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is the church at Laodicea, he's standing outside knocking on the door saying, let me in. Guys, contrary to popular opinion, that's, he's not knocking on the door, the door of the heart of the sinner. He's knocking on the door of a church collectively that was having services, that was going through the religious rituals and, and motions where Jesus himself was not welcomed and recognized as a guest of honor. And so as in Laodicea, so it is today, Religious ritual has become a knockoff, a substitute for the very presence of Jesus. Why would we want to be part of something that Jesus is saying, hey, I I wouldn't mind. Let me come in. Like, and once he comes in, right, he's kind of like raises the bar. (laughs) He's like, okay, let's get some things straight here now that I'm, back in my rightful place as Lord of the church. Let's get some things sorted out here. So 
This is something very important. So what happens is we're living in a time and a season where God is trying to restore order. Order. When it says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay, particularly the apostolic and the prophetic first, it's because God has a particular a, a vision and mission that he wants to accomplish. And Paul received by revelation what that is. Okay. Are you ready? We're at 10,000 feet. In Ephesians 4, their responsibility, verse 12, New Living, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Did you hear that? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we're mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing up. Come on, guys. Can I tell you just because you're showing up doesn't mean you're growing up? Growing up. Listen to this. Growing in every way more and more. More and more. Hey, what about one year ago on this day, have you grown? You know exactly what you're doing one year ago on this day if you have a Facebook account. <laughs> like, dude, I did that. That was a year ago. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, it was. It's like, I see things that goes four years ago today. I'm like, four years ago. Like, you know, but you know exactly. So here, here's what happens, Okay. Instead, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let me, let me just now, we're, we're, we're about to land, okay? The wheels are down. We're about to land. Are you ready? The word that is translated equip, to equip the saints, is the Greek word kartartizmas. It literally is, is the only time it's found in the New Testament. But the verb form, kartartizo, is used many times in the New Testament. There are several places this is used. But just to highlight, in Matthew 4.21, the word kartartizo is used of mending a torn fishing net. In Hebrews 11.3, that same word is used about God bringing the universe into order, more from, from chaos to cosmos, from bringing to completion that which is lacking in a, in a believer's life. And then in Luke 6.40, the same word is translated, uh, tra- translated perfectly uh, trained, or, and the idea is to be, the student is not above the teacher, but when he's been perfectly trained, Cardartizmo, He'll be like his teacher. So so here's what I'm saying. There's three aspects of this word because the first example in Matthew 4.21 is about a fishing net, remember? They're mending their fishing net. Now, a question, why do you mend a fishing net? I've been to the Philippines and some of the remote places. We've ministered there. And these guys are coming in on their boats and they're sitting down and they're literally mending their fishing nets after a, a fishing trip because Why? To catch more fish, exactly. 
right? So what the word means to mend, to repair, that's what it's translated. And yet, why do we repair something? Because we want to hang it up on the, on the wall and say, man, isn't this the most awesome fishing net you've ever seen? Like, it's been through some storms, I'll tell you. We got churches like that, the first church of the mended fishing net. Like, man, we've done so many things. I remember back in the good old days. I remember, and, and you know, we memorialize a move of God rather than mobilize a move of God. And God says, I want to do something new and fresh. Get that net off the wall and go fish. I want to mend you. Yeah, I want to mend you, but I want to mend you so I can send you. Before I can move you into your misery, I do need to mend, uh, to move you into your ministry. I do need to mend you of your misery. But there's a place for the mending, but there's a place for the send. So God is all about equipping each one of us. We're part of the body. And if you don't do your part, if you won't allow the Lord to mend you and you won't allow the Lord to send you, you the whole body of Christ will suffer. So the word cardartizo is also translated in 1 Corinthians 1.10, perfectly joined together. The word means this. He's saying that there would be no divisions but you'd be of the same mind and the same judgment. And he said, you'd be perfectly joined together, that you would be cartartizo, like that net that is mended and is perfectly joined together, that you would work as one. He didn't give us all fishing poles and say, go fish. He said, he gave us nets. So we were, it takes a team to work a net. You see, so, you know, they always read that, right? They, call, they had the team on the boat. So here's, here's my, what I want to say in conclusion. What does revival look like? It looks like a body. It looks like a body. Let me close with this. Ezekiel 37, the Lord asked the prophet, son of man, can these bones live? He takes them out. He shows them this valley. It's full of dry bones. And he asks him the question, can these bones live? Of course, he's like, no comment. What do you think, God? Only you know, right? And, and so because, but then what God tells him to do is prophesy. He said, I'm, I want you to prophesy. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause life to enter these bones. They're going to rise up. They're going to become exceedingly great army. So the first thing he does is when he prophesies, what happens is the breath of God isn't anywhere to be seen. What takes place is there is a connecting and a coming together of bones, so there are many bones, and they're very dry. That's quantity and quality. But verse 3 says in the New Living that these bones are scattered. That's the quandary. So the quandary is we are like the valley of dry bones. We're all kind of doing our own thing. That's what I meant by are you a part of the body or are you just a body part? And God is trying to bring the body together in this season. He's trying to cartartizo us. It's a word in Greek that literally means to bring into alignment, an orthopedic word actually. And it was used in the medical profession to bring a bone, to fuse it together, to restore it, to bring it into alignment. And that's what God is trying to do. So before there is revival, the breath of God represents revival. And a lot of us are praying for revival and God says, 
there won't be in this season, prophetically I declare to you that this is a season of reset. This is a season of preparation. This is a season where God is saying, you need to get things right because I believe we are in a time and a season of literally the final move of the Holy Spirit, the great end time harvest. And God is saying, my church has to be ready. The nets have to be prepared because of what I'm about to do. So before the net can be cast, it has to be repaired. But God is saying, before I send revival, there has to be reformation, reforming a body. And when the reformation takes place, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. Because I want to tell you, this last move of God, God's saying, I am setting things up according to the blueprint that I gave Moses, which was a type and shadow. Now, this is the season to do it right. In this season, it's not going to be about Benny Hinn. In this season, it's not going to be about that one or that one. Yes, there will be those that God uses powerfully. Apostles, prophets, God will use, and others. But he's saying, that's not enough. I need a body. I need a body. Because what we've been called to do is not just to experience reformation or revival. There's a purpose before reformation or revival, and it's called representation. Representation. We're called to represent him. We're his body. When people see his body, they say, that's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. When they see us, they say, that's Christ. That's Jesus. You see, we're called to a place of reformation. Will you come into alignment? Will you come into alignment with what God wants to do with your life? Will you surrender all? Will you give it all? Will you say, God, yes, I will, I will position myself. I will align myself with your purpose for my life. God, use me. Set me in the body. Talk about how eighth chapter, maybe. He begins to talk about how what they were called to build was actually a representation of a heavenly reality. So in other words, what you're called to build here, I'm giving you, listen to this, guys, watch this. I'm giving you a pattern to build something on the earth that is a replication it is, it is a type and a shadow of a heavenly reality. So if you're going to represent me and my kingdom on the earth, you better do it actually according to the way it is. Don't you like, well, I think that God... No, he's saying you got to understand that you're called to do... John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of himself, but whatever he sees the father do in the heavens, so he does on the earth. I only speak those things. I hear my father speaking. So we have to recognize that we're called to replicate and to represent the kingdom to the people of the earth. There's already a kingdom, guys. God, you know, Jesus has, has been king forever. I mean, he created everything. 
Okay, the Bible says from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. You know, it says in, 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 um, ex, in Matthew 25, the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom isn't something that John the Baptist had received some revelation. He came preaching the kingdom and Jesus continued it. The kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world. One translation says from the creation of the world. Very important that we get this. So God is a king ultimately, and he's always had a kingdom. And that kingdom was prepared for us when he created the world and when he created us, but it was always in existence. So we, we cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. This is so important. So God says, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all I show you, according to the pattern. Now, the word sanctuary is derived from the Hebrew word kadesh. It's used in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, of, I am the Lord that sanctifies you, the same root word. So what he's saying here is, I want you to build me a place, a holy dwelling place. In other words, this word in the Hebrew language would never be used of just a mundane facility. It was, it was a place that was designated as a sacred place, as a place that was used for worship, as a place that was, that was um, focused on encountering God. Okay, so, so the idea here is this is about building something that is completely unlike any other place in the world. Any other building, any other facility, any other, you know, uh, habitation. This is about building something that is called a sanctuary. And he says, the purpose for you building this sanctuary is that I may dwell among you. Now, let's put this in historical context. Moses had been called by the Lord to come up to the mountain. Remember? Mount Sinai. We know he was there for 40 days, 40 nights. Often, when you ask the average person, the average believer, what happened when Moses was on top of Mount Sinai? What's the most people say? What happened on Mount Sinai? Ten commandments, right? Moses came down. They're worshiping the golden calf. He gets upset. You know, he smashes the Ten Commandments, and he gets up. That whole thing, right? We know the narrative. But ultimately, that was a very small part of what Moses received. When Moses was in the glory of God, he received the blueprints to build this thing called the tabernacle or the sanctuary. And there's only like one chapter in the book of Exodus devoted to the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, but pretty much the rest, almost the rest of the book of Exodus is all about how to build this thing called a, a, a tabernacle or a sanctuary. So God is like, I'm not just looking for people that are going to be nice and they're not going to, thou shall not kill, thou shall not whatever, right? He's, God was like, I'm looking for a people that understand that I've created them to have relationship with me to, so that I may dwell in them. This thing is about, listen, this is old covenant. And God is saying old covenant, this is about habitation. This is about presence. This is about that I may dwell in your mix. In your midst. The word dwell 
isn't visitation. It's a word that means habitation. It means permanently. It's not like, okay, so people, well, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people. Then they left in the rest of their days, you know, and like, you know, they, they fulfilled their assignment or whatever. It was only select people, prophets, priests, kings, that type of thing. No, God says here very clearly, I want to dwell in the midst of all my people. Let them, the children of Israel, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Okay, this is awesome. Do you get this? All right, so let's fast forward to the new covenant. Jesus talks about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He does say, in, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the context is for those who were in the church in Corinth, uh, who had come out of that wicked culture. It's kind of like the Vegas of, of that, that time. And they were involved in a lot of um, immorality, particularly when they were involved in worship, worshiping the gods, they, they got themselves involved in sexual acts with prostitutes. So the point is, he's saying here, he's saying your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't be going and doing that, okay? Now, a lot of times we focus on that verse, that one verse, but there's another verse in 1 Corinthians that is much more important. It's 1 Corinthians 3, Verse 16, in this place, Paul talks to the church collectively. In the Greek, it's the word you in plural. So if you're from Texas, you would say y'all. Okay, so don't y'all know? I mean, actually, if you're in Texas, it would be all y'all, okay? So it wouldn't be just y'all. It's all y'all, okay? And, And so... It's all about realizing collectively that we are the temple. Temple. In other words, where does God dwell? Well, God doesn't dwell in temples anymore. Yes, he does. He dwells in a temple. There's only one temple. Yes, our bodies are the temple in, in what he's saying there. But when you look at it, what he's saying is ultimately there's kind of, you know, the this, this small, but then there's the big picture. The macro is that we are the temple of God collectively. All right. Now, Paul uses another analogy, and he says that we are the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he actually, so that we, we don't get confused and miss it, he actually says, the church, which is his body, and then he continues, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he says, the body of Christ, which is the church. So in other words, the church is his body and the body is the church. Okay? So that's pretty clear. And he's saying that the purpose of the fivefold is to equip and to prepare us to be a body. Now, I want to talk to you about raising the dead this morning. That was my introduction. Okay. The plane is up. We're at 30,000 feet. We're cruising. Okay. Let's cruise up there for a little bit. The body of Christ, you are an important part of what God wants to do 
in this end time. But the question I must ask you this morning is, are you a body part or are you part of the body? Are you a body part or are you part of the body? We got a lot of people that are believers, disciples that go, well, you know, I'm this, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm, you know, I've got the gift of giving, the gift of serving, not the gift of gab, but I got this, that's, that's carnal, that's not anointed, okay, Uh, (laughs) I guess it can be redeemed, but ultimately, the point is, God says, I have given you gifts and there are many people, and for years, guys, and we're talking about a progression, an evolution of coming into the fullness of the message of the kingdom. I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but let me just say that people have been preaching about apostles and prophets for a long time. And I, I, go, to, I go to places and I minister, particularly in North America, and I hear these guys, leaders, say this all the time, pastors, others, even apostles say, well, you know, in the 1940s, God poured out his spirit in Battleford, Saskatchewan, and it became known as the Latter Rain Movement. How many have heard about that? Okay, so let me tell you something. And many people from North America point to that as the kind of primary, um, maybe even the singular event that launched the apostolic and the prophetic. And yet, let me tell you, that's not true. Like, I'm from Canada, I know, okay? Like, it's, 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 it's fake news, okay? I mean, true story is fake news. And the point is, God is saying that's not true. Because from the beginning, the Lord said in the church, first of all, apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. By the way, pastor, not even on that list, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So the interesting thing is he says in Ephesians 2.20, I build my church upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. And when he says, first of all, he uses the word proton, and proton in the New Testament language means first in terms of order, sequence, and even importance. Even importance. So God's saying the apostle is the most important thing. In the, New Test- in the Old Testament was the prophet. In the New Testament, he shifts it. And it's now the apostle. Now, Jesus Christ is referred to as the chief apostle and the great high priest of our faith. So it's very important that we recognize that. So here's what happens. We see the restoration of of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And in like Azusa Street, we, we see stuff going on in Wales, you know, other places. And that's what we call what God was doing, you know, a great Pentecostal restoration of, of the gifts of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it spread all over the world. It's awesome. Then we see, like, miracles and healings emerging. Amy Semple McPherson uh, had the first megachurch, in fact, the only megachurch in the world at that time in 1923 right here in L.A. And so what ends up happening is God is doing these amazing things, but then we talk about this whole thing about the restoration of apostles in the late 40s, 48 in particular. Not true. I pastored a church in Perth, Australia that was started in the 1920s by apostles and prophets who came out of the Welsh revival 
and the United Kingdom, and they said, we're going to go to Australia, and we're going to reach people, and we'll target the capital cities in each state, and we will, we will go in there with miracle signs and wonders, reach people, plant churches, and they, were, they embraced apostles and prophets. In fact, it was apostles and prophets in teams that went out to do this. So to say it happened here in North America ain't true. If you see it on Wikipedia, you need to document, tell them it's false. So the point I'm trying to make here is, guys, it's been going on for a long time. But we have corrupted apostles and prophets. Now, I know there's some real, genuine prophets and apostles. I get that. I is one. But I want you to understand something. We've corrupted it in many instances where we've, we've, we've diluted it, we've distorted it so that it's no longer been the purpose from which God wanted it to be. So let me, let me go here, and then we're about to, you know, it's kind of like, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be, put your laptops away, everything else, we're about to descend, okay? And we're approaching. Now here's, we're going down. Are you ready? <clears throat> so what happens, God moves, God restores but then we come into this age where we start to see things shifting from what is known as preaching the gospel of salvation to what we, we see more people under, preaching on revelational things pertaining to the kingdom. So we move away from the gospel of salvation. We are still in that process and we're embracing the gospel of the kingdom. There's only one time in the New Testament where the, the language is used, gospel of salvation, only one time. Ephesians 1, verse 13. All the other times, it talks about the gospel of Jesus, and yes, the gospel of grace. But ultimately, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Verse 3 of Matthew 24. Jesus responded... And he said, guys, there's going to be persecutions, there's going to be wars, there's going to be earthquakes, nation will rise against nation. There'll be false prophets, there'll be false Christs. He said, these things are going to happen, verse 6, but he says, but don't be afraid, don't stress out because, he said, this is not the end, is what he says in verse 6. It's not the end. Like they're asking Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming in the end? All this stuff's going to happen, but this is not the end. Then verse 8, he says, these things are birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows. But ultimately, there's only one thing Jesus articulated in unequivocal terms is the fulfillment of the question the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And it's verse 14. He says this. This gospel of the kingdom. I like when he says this gospel. Because he's saying, you know, the gospel that I'm preaching. Okay. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony or a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then the end will come. Powerful. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached Okay, to all the world, but more specifically to all the nations. 
United Nations has 195 countries in its membership. They do not include Taiwan. 196 if Taiwan was in the list. But the word that is used here by Jesus is a word from which we get our term ethnic, ethnic groups. And there's actually over 17,400 distinct ethnic groups in all of these 196 nations of the world. Right now, only about 6,900 have access to the gospel. I'm sorry. Delete. Right now, 6,900 are considered unreached people groups. Okay. That is close to 3 billion people. The population of the world right now is 7.8 plus billion. 3 billion. Don't have access. Now, that's a lot of people. It even gets worse because there's some place in the world where there's absolutely no access to the gospel. Right now. Well, yeah, man, they just go online, you know, like I post on Facebook every day. Facebook is blocked in China. Social media is blocked in China. Okay. Like, well, we just get them on a Zoom meeting, disciple them that way. Cuba has blocked Zoom. We get around it, but the point I'm trying to make is it's not as simple as that. So what happens is God says there is such a need for people to get this thing called the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when most missiologists talk about unreached people groups, they do not take into consideration the gospel of the kingdom. They're just saying the gospel that Jesus died, he rose again, he lives forevermore, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven and you'll go to heaven, and that's the message. And that's, that's, that's a good place to start. But listen to me, if, if that's all God intended for you was pie in the sky and the sweet by and by when you die that he would kill you the moment you're born again because he knew you mess it up. Turn at your neighbor and say, I messed it up. And turn to your neighbor and say, I'm still messing up. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mess. All right, okay. But seriously, guys, think about it. Why did Jesus come to the earth? He didn't show up and go, okay, like, I'm 30 years old now. Let's go to the cross. Let's get this thing over with so y'all can be delivered and set free and, you know, restored to the Father. Um, he actually died for us so we could live. Live on the earth for at least a season so we could be restored to the image and likeness of the Father. We could be restored to identity that we could be restored to our purpose for being created. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all that today. That book I have in the kingdom talks more about it. It's a small book, a simple read. I'm writing a, a larger, more voluminous book right now on that topic. But ultimately, what we're saying is there's a call to learn to live in the kingdom. In fact, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. It actually says that we were saved so that we would learn how to walk worthy 
of God who's called us into his kingdom. Man, let's talk about that. Did y'all hear that? You were saved so you would learn how to walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Wow, and glory. So God has a purpose for you here. It's a kingdom purpose. It's about his glory. Guys, I'm telling you what, religion is boring. Okay, like why would you attend a church Jesus doesn't attend? The only thing, you know, listen, I pastored a church that I wouldn't attend if I wasn't a pastor. And then we were able to turn it around. I go, yeah, I'd, I'd go here. Good preacher, right? No, it's okay. <laughs> Humility, yes. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is the church at Laodicea, he's standing outside knocking on the door saying, let me in. Guys, contrary to popular opinion, that's, he's not knocking on the, do- the door of the heart of the sinner. He's knocking on the door of a church collectively that was having services, that was going through the religious rituals and and motions where Jesus himself was not welcomed and recognized as a guest of honor. And so as in Laodicea, so it is today, religious ritual has become a knockoff, a substitute for the very presence of Jesus. Why would we want to be part of something that Jesus is saying, hey, I I wouldn't mind. Let me come in. Like, and once he comes in, right, he's kind of like raises the bar. (laughs) He's like, okay, let's get some things straight here now that I'm back in my rightful place as Lord of the church. Let's get some things sorted out here. So this is something very important. So what happens is we're living in a time, in a season, where God is trying to restore order. Order. When it says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay, particularly the apostolic and the prophetic first, it's because God has a particular a, a vision and mission that he wants to accomplish, And Paul received by revelation what that is. Okay. Are you ready? We're at 10,000 feet. In Ephesians 4, their responsibility, verse 12, New Living, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Did you hear that? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we're mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing up. Come on, guys. Can I tell you just because you're showing up doesn't mean you're growing up? Growing up, listen to this, growing in every way more and more, 
more and more. Hey, what about one year ago on this day, have you grown? You know exactly what you're doing one year ago on this day if you have a Facebook account. <laughs> like, dude, I did that. That was a year ago. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, it was. It's like, I see things that goes four years ago today. I'm like, four years ago? Like, you know, but you know exactly. So here, here's what happens, okay? Instead, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let me, let me just now, we're, we're, we're about to land, okay? The wheels are down. We're about to land. Are you ready? The word that is translated equip to equip the saints is the Greek word kartartizmas. It literally is, is the only time it's found in the New Testament. But the verb form, kartartizo, is used many times in the New Testament. There are several places this is used. But just to highlight, in Matthew 4.21, the word kartartizo is used of mending a torn fishing net. In Hebrews 11.3, that same word is used about God bringing the universe into order, more from, from chaos to cosmos, from bringing to completion that which is lacking in a, in a believer's life. And then in Luke 6.40, the same word is translated, uh, tra- translated perfectly uh, trained, or, and the idea is to be, the student is not above the teacher, but when he's been perfectly trained, Carter Tiedsville, He'll be like his teacher. So, so here's what I'm saying. There's three aspects of this word because the first example in Matthew 4.21 is about a fishing net, remember? They're mending the fishing net. Now, question, why do you mend a fishing net? I've been to the Philippines and some of the remote places and we've ministered there and these guys are coming in on their boats and they're sitting down and they're literally mending the fishing nets after a, a fishing trip because Why? To catch more fish, exactly, right? So what the word means to mend, to repair, that's what it's translated. And yet, why do we repair something? Because we want to hang it up on the, on the wall and say, man, isn't this the most awesome fishing net you've ever seen? Like, it's been through some storms, I'll tell you. We got churches like that, the first church of the mended fishing net. Like, man, we've done so many things. I remember back in the good old days. I remember. And, and, you know, we memorialize a move of God rather than mobilize a move of God. And God says, I want to do something new and fresh. Get that net off the wall and go fish. I want to mend you. Yeah, I want to mend you. But I want to mend you so I can send you. Before I can move you into your misery, I do need to, mend, uh, to move you into your ministry. I do need to mend you of your misery. But there's a place for the mending, but there's a place for the send. So God is all about equipping each one of us. We're part of the body. And if you don't do your part, if you won't allow the Lord to mend you and you won't allow the Lord to send you, you the whole body of Christ will suffer. So the word... Cardartizo is also translated in 1 Corinthians 1.10, perfectly joined together. The word means this. He's saying that there would be no divisions 
but you'd be of the same mind and the same judgment. And he said, you'd be perfectly joined together, that you would be cartartizo, like that net that is mended and is perfectly joined together, that you would work as one. He didn't give us all fishing poles and say, go fish. He said, he gave us nets. So we were, it takes a team to work a net. You see? So, you know, they always read that, right? They call, they had the team on the boat. So here's, here's my, what I want to say in conclusion. What does revival look like? It looks like a body. It looks like a body. Let me close with this. Ezekiel 37, the Lord asked the prophet, son of man, can these bones live? He takes them out. He shows them this valley. It's full of dry bones. And he asks him the question, can these bones live? Of course, he's like, no comment. What do you think, God? Only you know, right? And, and so because, but then what God tells him to do is prophesy. He said, I'm, I want you to prophesy. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause life to enter these bones. They're going to rise up. They're going to become exceedingly great army. So the first thing he does is when he prophesies, what happens is the breath of God isn't anywhere to be seen. What takes place is there is a connecting and a coming together of bones. So there are many bones and they're very dry. That's quantity and quality. But verse three says in the new living that these bones are scattered. That's the quandary. So the quandary is we are like the valley of dry bones. We're all kind of doing our own thing. That's what I meant by are you a part of the body or are you just a body part? And God is trying to bring the body together in this season. He's trying to cartartizo us. It's a word in Greek that literally means to bring into alignment, an orthopedic word actually. And it was used in the medical profession to bring a bone, to fuse it together, to restore it, to bring it into alignment. And that's what God is trying to do. So before there is revival, the breath of God represents revival. And a lot of us are praying for revival and God says, there won't be in this season prophetically I declare to you that this is a season of reset this is a season of preparation this is a season where God is saying you need to get things right because I believe we are in a time and a season of literally the final move of the Holy Spirit the great end time harvest and God is saying my church has to be ready the nets have to be prepared because of what I'm about to do so before the net can be cast it has to be repaired but God is saying before I send revival there has to be reformation reforming a body and when the reformation takes place God says I'll pour out my spirit because I want to tell you this last move of God God's saying I am setting things up according to the blueprint that I gave Moses which was a type and shadow now this is the season to do it right in this season it's not going to be about Benny Hinn in this season it's not going to be about that one or that one yes there will be those that God uses powerfully apostles prophets God will use and others but he's saying that's not enough I need a body I need a body because What we've been called to do is not just to experience reformation or revival. There's a purpose before reformation or revival, and it's called representation. Representation. We're called to represent him. 
his body. When people see his body, they say, that's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. When they see us, they say, that's Christ. That's Jesus. You see, we're called to a place of reformation. Will you come into alignment? Will you come into alignment with what God wants to do with your life? Will you surrender all? Will you give it all? Will you say, God, yes, I will, I will position myself. I will align myself with your purpose for my life. God, use me. Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website, awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter.